0: What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you, it is absolutely bar none the best way for authors to make a living selling their books. Are you tired of feeling like you have to be on social media 50 hours a week just to sell a few books and then frustrated when that time doesn't actually lead to any book sales? Are you tired of hearing people say that you just have to be patient with the social media game for a long time so that you can build that following and that trust? Yeah. I was too, because there's only one of me, and ammo solves that problem. Now, here's the deal. It's a system that can actually guarantee results, and I'm not the one doing the guaranteeing, and I don't think that Steve Piper, who founded ammo, would literally say that it's a guarantee, but what's a guarantee here is that when you spend advertising dollars in the right way, you get results, and you're profitable. Okay, the concept here is if you spend a dollar and make two You are profitable, and Ammo does that for its authors. I want you to check out the link in the show notes, because this program has the ability to change your life. And hey, it's not for everyone. If you're a traditionally published author, it might not work for you, because your margins will be too small to get profitable advertising on your own. That's something you'll have to take up with your publisher. But if you're self-published, if you're indie published, this thing could be great for you. If you have a few books out, especially if you're a series writer, this is a game-changer. The whole podcast is now part of the Ammo family. So you'll notice every Wednesday, this show is Ammo Edition. But even on Mondays, you're listening to a show that exists because this author, this host of the podcast uses Ammo and makes money selling books. It's a beautiful feeling. I encourage you to check it out. My guests on today's show are Jonathan and Jennifer Yanez. This is an episode guest hosted with Rich Hosek. When I invited him to guest host, I had no idea that Jonathan and Jennifer were in the thick of producing their own film. So it was just one of those really fortuitous good moments. Uh, Rich has a history, as you know, if you've listened to the show before, in film and TV. He wrote scripts for uh, such visionaries as uh, Will Smith in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, as well as The New Adams Family. And uh, he brings a whole other dimension when we start talking about film in this episode. So very grateful to Rich for guest hosting with me today. And uh, Jonathan and Jennifer are a powerful duo putting Jonathan's books out into the world. They're in the thick of writing scripts to get short films and streaming films produced. You can find one of them called Infinity System on YouTube right now. I watched it, I loved it. You should watch it because you will love it too. After you hear their story of how Jonathan went to succeed as a novelist, I think you're going to want to not only read his books but be part of his pack. He's got my favorite Facebook group for an author that I've ever found. I'm part of it. I frequently comment. I love the stuff that he does. It's not all just buy a book, buy a book, buy a book, but really engaging things to help you get to know him better. Uh, And if nothing else, I think you will benefit from learning how to run a successful group. So I have that linked in the show notes as well. They also are running another Kickstarter to continue producing more scripts into uh, streaming, and film. So I have that linked. And then last of all, I have his books linked to his website. So check all of those resources out. And then moving on, I link to a few people that we mention frequently in this episode. So you've probably heard me talk about Grant Cardone a time or two. I've got a link to his audiobook, Be Obsessed or Be Average. And uh, I just want to say, I love the book. I literally have read it a dozen times, if not more There was a period this last summer where every dog walk that I would go on, I would listen to that audiobook, and when it was over, I just started it from the beginning and read it again. There's some way that he gets into your mind. If you need to get outside of your comfort zone, listening to that book is phenomenal. So highly recommend it. I also have a link to Ed Milet, The Power of One More, and Rachel Hollis, Girl, Wash Your Face. The thing is, if you are listening to this show with the intention of having a full-time career as a novelist especially, but any kind of author, whether you're self-published or traditionally published, you are going to have to do Really uncommon things. I believe that Jennifer borrowed this quote from somebody else, and I'm going to botch it here, but I have it in the head of the show notes. If you want to have uncommon results, you need to do uncommon things. The idea is do something you've never done before if you want results you've never had before. That's what this whole episode is about. There were moments where I was sweating bullets because I thought these are things I should be doing that I'm really scared I don't even know how to do. And Kickstarter keeps coming up. That would be another one. I should tackle something with Kickstarter. I should tackle something with Kickstarter, but I keep not doing it because I failed miserably my first try. And uh, I'm not taking my own advice. Instead of diving back in and learning from my failure, I'm fleeing my fear of failing again. On that note, I would like to let you know uh, I've been talking a lot about the library process that I'm doing. That's my my Monday series right now. And uh, I confess this to a friend of mine, but I would like to share it with you as well, because maybe this will connect with you where you're at right now. Or you'll remember that I told you this at a future time when the, the moment is right. Uh, I've been trying to build books for Bruce as this this thing that I'm doing in my community to make my book more appealing to local libraries and, and grow from there. Uh, and in order to do that, I have to pick up the phone and make phone calls. I have to go into establishments and talk to owners and, and build relationships with local community people so that I have a place to do a Books for Brews event. Uh, there is a bar that is prominently featured in my novel series, The Luke and Time Mysteries, uh, called Jake's. And I used to personally drink and uh, smoke at Jake's all the time. It was a really great place to have a cigar and a few beers or maybe a bourbon. And uh, yeah, I just, I love it. But I went in once for my previous Kickstarter project and it didn't go as well as I would have wanted. And now I can't make myself go in. So the other day I was bringing my son in for jujitsu. I parked out in front of Jake's and my son finally asked me, what are we doing? Because I was just sitting there and I was like, I can't go in. And in front of my own son, I drove away. I didn't give him all the context, but I'm betting he's smart enough to understand that I had a chicken out moment, the fear moment. I let it get the best of me. I drove away. So this next week, I have to correct that. I have to get in there. I have to go in and I have to ask them if they'd be interested in partnering with me for uh, Books for Bruce. But uh, yeah, if you listen to this podcast all the time, you have most of the context there. If not, go back and listen to the show. I am giving you as much value as I possibly can, and I don't charge anything for it. The only things you'll pay for is if you click a link that you want to know more about and you buy an Audible book or something like that, Uh, or if you join Ammo, which if you don't join Ammo and you want to be a full-time author and you don't know how to do it, Ammo is worth every penny. It's hard work. But it is really great, and if that comes across so clearly in today's episode with Jennifer, Jon Jennifer, and Jonathan, <laughs> I am not cutting that. <laughs> if that comes through with Jonathan and Jennifer Yanez, uh yeah, it's it's a it's an amazing program. So I've rambled enough. I want to get you into this episode. Please enjoy my discussion with Jonathan and Jennifer Yanes. This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author and want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. There's simply no program that's more successful at driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book. And the system with enamel takes care of the rest. Thanks for listening to this conversation. The first thing I noticed is that you do have really robust downloads on KU. So you're not doing all direct fulfillment. I've known that from hearing you on the the phone calls before, Jennifer. But I wanted to ask you, what's your thought process about how you allocate what series goes to KU and therefore is like locked in and what series you want to do direct? Do you want to take this one? Because you kind of kicked off Um, going direct.
1: Yeah, sure. So initially everything was KU. Um, And so the particular series that we have going direct was something that had been out for a few years. The KU numbers were dwindling. We tried a few different programs and uh, we weren't getting just the ROI on those different Mm -hmm. avenues. So that was paying third party companies to run different ads for us, different promos, the box set stuff. And even um, going as far as the Amazon marketing group where, you know, like they're the ones creating the ads, they're the ones managing the insertion. So that should go. So it did get some um, intrinsic value, but in terms of boosting it to that next level of traction. So it kind of became clear to me or to us that we need to do something differently. And that was maybe the Amazon pool had seen it enough to either have read it or made the decision that they weren't going to read it at this time. Um, And so that it was more like started with KU and then what would be uh, direct. And so we're starting to pick and choose titles to go direct at this point.
0: I gotcha. So prior to ammo, everything you did was through KU or something Kindle related.
1: Amazon Kindle. Mm hmm.
0: Okay. And so you were not wide prior to this at all in in any form? Okay. No. And I mean Jonathan you're writing at a light speed it feels like uh, unless you're a lot older than you look like you're pumping out books pretty quickly <laughs> um <laughs> and so I'm I'm kind of curious about that process you have a really cool thing um in some ways I'm envious my wife helps design covers she does so much stuff behind the scenes but hates the technical aspect so I'm thinking probably you're not dealing with as much of that Jonathan but tell me a little bit about the writing process uh and how you're able to write so many books so quickly and then have them be at the quality they are. I mean, like I said, I read a book and from an editing perspective, it's really sharp character perspective. It's well-developed. I I get where you're going. Um, I think. And so I'm curious, how, how are you doing that?
2: Well, thank you. Don't give me too much credit. Uh, first though, I've been doing it for 11 years. So it looks okay. like I have, you know, a lot of books out, but over the span of 11 books, 11 years of just writing, yeah. I've been able to produce a lot. So like uh, early on before Anybody knew who we were. I knew I had to have a, a set of work to draw readers in. So I was writing a book a month at that time. So I thought, uh, and remember, this is not—I don't think this is healthy. Neither is it sane. I don't think I'm a sane individual to do a, a book a month, right? But I knew like where I was going. I knew what I wanted to do. I thought to myself, yeah. I worked plenty of jobs that I did not like, and yeah. I worked long hours and really hard at those jobs I didn't like. Mm -hmm. So how much harder could I drive myself to work at a job that I really enjoyed, that I really wanted to work out? So for the first few years, I wrote a book a month, and then I went down to uh, six books a year. And now I'm down to four books a year. So we're doing four books a year and then a film project uh, with Infinity System first. And then now we're kicking off a Forsaken Mercenary film project.
0: Okay, All right, well let's take a little detour then and talk about the film project, because Rich here has uh, roots in the film industry, so um, that should be fun.: mm-hmm.
2: Oh, very cool. Yeah. so um, in
0: 2021,
2: we started um, seeing what it would look like to crowdfund to raise capital to be able to do a film, and we were able to raise 60,000 through Kickstarter. So with 60,000, we could have done a full-length movie, but I feel like the quality would have suffered trying to do a full-length movie for $60,000. So we came up with a new idea, a new IP that didn't exist in book format at all. And we decided just to do a 30-minute episode. We could do a 30-minute episode really well with 60 grand. And we learned so much, so much. It was like drinking through a fire hose. Just like, you know, I didn't know what a cinematographer was. I didn't know what a pitch deck was, but I do now. We've done a ton of them. So it was a hands-on learning experience just from, like, the ground up. And we were able to shoot Infinity System. It's gone on to win multiple awards. We picked up our first agent, our entertainment lawyer, representation now. And um, we can move really fast as independent filmmakers. But what we're realizing is the Hollywood machine moves much slower than we're used to. So while Infinity System is in a good place as representation, the agent, entertainment lawyer are taking meetings, everything's good. We thought to ourselves, well, we're not just gonna like hang out, and watch Netflix on the couch. Like, what's what are we gonna do next? So, sort we're of thinking, yeah. like, okay, let's do another Kickstarter this time for an IP that already exists, Forsaken Mercenary. It's my best selling IP, and uh, we'll see if we can raise a hundred thousand dollars this time on Kickstarter. And what could we do with a hundred thousand? Wow,
1: yeah. So, um, to add on to that, is uh, my background is advertising. Um, I wow. worked at an agency, a few agencies here in. Um, the county area and um I have experience or had experience putting on big events conferences and managing photography at still photography shoots and so from a production standpoint uh, commercially and so uh when you know he said he wanted to do this new endeavor I had an idea like this is this is a big undertaking. This is not uh, publishing a $50,000 word or a 50,000 word novel on like it's infrastructure on Amazon. This is big. And so it was a lot of fun to collaborate and grow in that way. And because we live Mm -hmm. in Southern California, we had so many connections and resources here available to us. So it was, it was a beautiful process to bring that team together and then to then celebrate every time we get picked up by film festival every time we're awarded and uh, to to go through that and then to expand a new network just like in the beginning you compare it when we were first writing I was not writing you were writing and like we didn't really know anyone and how to make connections and and learn the process and meet new people and suss out like where everybody's journey is taking them and Mm-hmm. Who can we cheer on from a distance and who could we collaborate with? And so yeah. um, that's kind of where we've been for the past 18 months or so um, in terms of films. set. about 18 months since we filmed mm-hmm. our first film. Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah it it uh, it makes me want to part of the the language that you're using and the the size of the project uh you had mentioned to me in messages Jennifer about Grant Cardone that um you're aware of him uh, as a person so so few writers that i talk to have any clue about him um and so mm-hmm. i'm kind of curious how did that fit into your thought process were you aware of him when you were doing this film project did his kind of philosophy or ideology affect your choice to take on such a big project
1: um, I would say he is a little more recent for us for okay. our first project. The the thing that we kept saying to each other was uh, be like Walt, Walt okay. Disney. And so that was the one of just making sure that no matter who we interacted with, was it our SAG uh, represent, uh, representative? Cause it was a SAG approved uh, project signatory. Um, and so we got to work with that union, our, our camera crew team, electrical, the people where we were uh Renting this studio space or the film, um, what is it called? The I just kind of lost the word there. Um, White Horse Ranch.
2: Oh, the set.
1: Yeah, the set. There we go. Who who owns it? It's like they built it for filming, right? And there's been yeah. movies and commercials and stuff so, shot in this western town out in Joshua Tree National Park. And so um, the the performers, everyone, like, how can we plus this experience for them? They could be working in on any set. They can be working with any team or any crew, and they, they're here. So how do we? help them now experience something special and valued and then have that perhaps impact them in what's to come. Mm-hmm. Because what we wanted to do is kind of create a sort of legacy of that. You know, we, we've mm-hmm. heard, and it was right around the time of the incident with Rust. So there was a lot of hesitation. Oh, wow. of we were doing a Western sci-fi thriller. So right. they're like, what kind of guns are you using? What are you doing? <laughs> covid and COVID wow. is still very much so a concern at that time. So, making sure that we pumped up the excitement and you know, just like be like Walt through the whole thing. So, now is more so like, uh, what will Grant Cardone do? So, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's like the 10x. We got to put mm-hmm. in 10 times the effort to every part. And that's where it was also for another film we have in the works that needs, you know, we're going to work on it, uh, shore up a little bit on the genre. And so that way the pitching process can continue to go better. Cause what we thought it was going to be in terms of genre is needs to be tailored. But in addition to that, where we thought it was going to be a smaller project, we found there are bigger opportunities. And so we want to, you know, as they say, get our ducks in a row to present to the mini majors. Um, yeah. the, it's not the big studios, like the A twenty fours, all the ones mm-hmm. that won the academies uh, this, this past year, this yeah. past season. So, um, Well, that's working instead of just waiting, right? You got to do 10 times the work. Well, let's build up our cachet. Let's build up our body of work. As he said he did in the beginning with books, we're now looking to do that with um, film.
0: Yeah. It's it's an absurd amount of work. I'm actually curious to hear from Rich. So uh, I always I always cite that he wrote four episodes of Fresh Prince of Bel Air because that was just a show I grew up on. And so <laughs> to find out like I was talking to somebody who actually wrote episodes there, I was like, wow, I'm 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 like a celebrity by proxy right now. Um, but I would love to hear <laughs> I'd love to hear from Rich a little bit about his thoughts here and ask you a couple of questions before we move on from uh, you know TV film.
3: Well, you're you're embarking in that uh, that um, business at a great time because of. The production costs. I mean, when I heard your budget for a half, even a half hour of a movie, it's like, really, you could do it for that cheap. And it's like, yeah, you can, because of the way video works now. Yeah. It used to be, if you had to like do it on film, uh, so many costs associated with that, that, that you don't have to account for anymore. So you've got this great possibility to sort of really put the money into the actors. I'm glad you're doing a union uh, shop there. And, um, and also, you know, adding to the production values as well. I'm, I'm, I, I hope you'll let us know where we can uh, view that uh, that first film uh, at the end of the interview here. I'd love to check that out. But uh, yeah, I, I do know it, it does. It's a different process too. So you're say you're adapting. Then your Forsaken Mercenary,
2: right? So uh, Forsaken Mercenary is basically like everything you love about Roadhouse, Jason Bourne. There's a little bit of Mad Max in there too. Uh it's basically a mercenary who lost his memory and characters from his past start coming like hey we know who you are and now he has to struggle with does he want to be that killer he was before or is he going to try to be something better.
3: Yeah, I naively started with book 1 not realizing there was a book 0.
2: Oh, okay, yeah. So uh <laughs> Inception was a uh kind of like a, a precursor that Audible Studios picked up. They picked up the first the precursor and then the first 6 books to do uh audios with. So they wanted me to write kind of like a precursor to uh Dropship, which was book zero. Um, but yeah, so Forsaken Mercenary, we thought to ourselves, we learned so much from doing Infinity System. What now can we leverage to do even better? And now the contacts that we knew in the film world, because we knew no one when we were doing <laughs> Infinity System, like nobody. Uh the contacts now that we have, you know, like whether it's like film commissioners or other producers or you know, directors and writers. Um, stunt people, stunt coordinators. Yeah. So like, okay, if we could raise 60 grand last time, not knowing anything, what can we do with, you know, another Kickstarter for forsaken mercenary and IP that has existed for years that people love. Uh, and then how can we, um, kind of to exactly what Jen was saying to build our cachet of work. So it's not just like infinity system, like, Oh, it's not just like a one hit wonder, like, okay, they won awards here and here and here. Like sooner or later, I always tell Jen this, and it's kind of like Cardone says as well, you know, you got to work 10 times as hard. So I almost look at success as there is a uh, 100 balls in a ball pit. 99 of them are red and one is green. And every time you try, you close your eyes and you pick a ball out of the ball pit. So 99 times, right, there's going to be a red ball. It's going to be a no. But you just need one. You just need that one green one. And the more that you can reach into that and pick it out, the odds actually swing in your favor. I talk to a lot of authors who think the odds are against us, but the odds are actually in the favor of the person who doesn't give up, because the mm. odds say sooner or later, if you don't stop, you're going to
3: make it. Yeah, yeah. You're. I mean, the, the, just the volume of that work too. And I, I just want to point another thing too, because I uh, reading Forsaken Mercenary. It does. It's it's a shorter book, and it feels like it would translate to a screenplay more easily. But are are you actually writing the screenplay yourself? I'm assume. And how is that process for you in terms of translating your work from a book to a screenplay? Because I've done the reverse.
1: Um,
2: Yeah. So um, I'm not the same one in the relationship. Jen is (laughs) the same one, right? Like Probably like the same thing would be like, hey, you figured out book publishing. You should just stay in your lane and continue to publish books, right? Um, And for me, I still love writing. It's still fun. But it's almost like we got really good at hunting deer, So do you just go to hunt deer over and over and over again?
1: If you need to eat.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Or do you go see that, like, dragon on the mountain? Be like, I wonder what it takes to go hunt that thing down. So uh, with movie making, it was the same thing. Like, I have no idea how to write a script, but I can learn. Like, nobody's going to put forth more effort than I am. So I read tons of scripts. And um, I started practicing. And maybe for the last, like, three years now, I've been writing scripts. Infinity System was the first thing that was made. But um, writing a script... Is so much for me, for me personally. It's so much easier than writing a book because with a script for a feature-length film, I think it was an hour and a half, is something around seventeen thousand words, where a, a full-length novel is going to be anywhere from fifty to eighty, maybe even a yeah. hundred thousand words, if you how depend on how long your novel is. So I found that script writing was actually easier, and uh, when I'm adapting a book into a screenplay. I had to figure out my process because I didn't even know what my process was going to look like. So I found out it's harder for me to like read a chapter of a book and then try to translate it into script. Basically what I do is I'll read a chapter of a book and I'll just note down what happened in that chapter. X, Y, and Z happened in chapter one. And then I just let my imagination go to work and I write that down in script form. X, Y, and Z happened. Instead of trying to like copy and paste or going like back and forth the exact dialogue because that's so monotonous.
1: Did you get oh, no, it's, it's,
3: it's going to be totally different. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, it's an interesting process you have.
1: Uh, you were talking about, like, just knowing the characters and they fit in and they and react the way that they would as if they're who they are.
2: Oh, right. I forget what author said it. Don't credit me with this. This is not my words. It's much too smart for me. But uh, somebody said that their characters were their best friends. So if you understand who your character is, in any situation that you put that character in, you're like, oh, Jack Reacher would respond like this in this scenario because that's who he is. So if you get to know your characters really well. I think it's a easier process as you put them in different scenarios, how they would respond.
0: That's a, a fascinating thought. It's really weird. I didn't know that this would necessarily fit into the conversation today. But I was, I'm working on um, the fourth book in my series, uh, my detective series. And for the first time, I had this moment where I really enjoyed putting the main character into a painful, like hurtful situation Um, because I was just like, I I experienced it almost like a reader for a moment. I was like, I know a reader is going to love this pain always before it really hurt me. So that best friend thing is kind of an interesting perspective because you don't want your best friend to suffer, but when you understand this like grand arc of a storyline putting them in pain feels kind of nice because you know where you're taking everything and, and what the payoff is going to be. Um, and that's well.
2: a great point too. If you feel it when you're writing, your readers will feel it too. Yeah. If you're not feeling it when you're writing, then you know you're doing something wrong because it's not going to translate through the page. And a, yeah. another really cool thing to think about is uh, when you're writing your character, you're selling emotion, right? I used to think we sold stories. We do not sell stories. We yeah. sell
1: emotion.
2: So in every scene that I'm writing I'm thinking like what's the emotion that I'm trying to get across are people going to laugh are people going to is it going to resonate with somebody on a deep level are they going to cry like what emotion am I trying to pull so in every scene that I'm writing now I'm thinking like okay we're I'm going to take these people on an emotional roller coaster
0: I want to I want to get to the marketing thing but I read uh, the first book in your your Galactic Guardian series um, Legend Rising and I have such a, a limited uh, catalog of sci-fi to pull from that I immediately started seeing elements of Ready Player One. And I was actually curious, were you thinking about that at all when you started writing that? Because the way that he gets pulled into an almost game-like atmosphere from just being a trucker, um, it, it felt a little bit like that, that Ready Player One. You've got this guy who's, uh, I would say not like very athletic. Uh, definitely not in good shape um, <laughs> yeah. and and make him into like a, a video game hero. It, it seemed a little bit like you were maybe translating from that a little bit.
2: You know what I did? I have watched ready player when I read the book and I yeah. didn't think that I was pulling from that then, but with you, what you're saying now, I could totally yeah. see how that would work. I just love underdog stories. Yes. So uh, a big group of our readers are truck drivers. They listen to the audiobooks as they drive. Oh the country really? so I wanted to kind of do something that I had never seen uh done before what if a truck driver gets you know abducted into this you know galactic order and like what you said right typical um person who has maybe a job where he's seated most of the day he's not in that great a shape yeah. so you get to see him evolve and grow and it's hard like what you're saying like Putting your characters in positions to struggle, and in my mind, and I'm sure you do the same thing. You just like hang in there, man. It's going to get better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you get through this. It's going to be. It's going to get better. Yeah,
3: yeah. It's reminding me of the last Starfighter too.
2: Oh yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. All those. Uh, all those stories that I grew up with. I feel like um my brain is almost just like a an amalgamation of different stories. Like I like this from that story and I like this from that story and just incorporate it into something that I would want to read an adventure that I would want to go on. Cause when I'm writing uh, the reason I'm able to write, I think for 11 years straight uh, without taking really any long breaks or anything like that and just produce is because I have fun. I really love it. It's fun telling stories. It's fun. Like I'm on the adventure with these characters. So it's fun for me to play.
1: Yeah. The part of the struggle is that like humans, we don't want that right. We're, adverse to pain, but that's where we can grow. And we can grow when, you know, we watch our children struggling to learn something or struggling to pull themselves up on the monkey bars or struggling to stay up on that bike or you know, navigate friendships through high school, whatever that is, it's a struggle. And we know there's going to be pains and scraped knees and bumped elbows and all of that. But we know on the other side, there's goodness. And it reminds me of like what they were saying in the matrix. They try to build this perfect simulation, but our P as humans, we kept rejecting it because it was too perfect. So like there's strength in struggle. There's, character building through perseverance and all of that. So our characters can't grow because we can't grow as people if there are not struggles. So it's sort of a gracious thing and entertaining that authors or or storytellers do when they put their characters through the ringer in such ways.
0: So there's a couple of things here. One, it's really hard to think that we're not in a simulation. Just this morning, I was finishing up an episode of Joe Rogan. He's talking to the director of. Uh, the John, John Wick, Wick series. Yes. And he mentioned just the matrix. That <laughs> okay. I, yeah. I literally finished it this morning. So, um, <laughs> it was like, wow, you're mentioning it. Okay. Well, it makes sense because we both listen to the same thing. So it's both top of the brain. Still probably mm. we're in a simulation. It's pretty fun. So, uh, I'll take it. And then I think it's, it's a good, good transition to talk about the marketing side of things, uh, because this is an ammo edition of the podcast. And so I want, I want to ask you, I have to imagine that marketing is the most difficult part of the perspective, even Jennifer, with you being in uh, an advertising background, because books for one are like nothing else. It's really difficult to figure out who you're selling your book to. And they're so narrow on the margins that even when you start to sell, seeing a, a, a sustainable kind of profit that you can feed your family with is pretty challenging i'm speaking from experience here it's really difficult what are the struggles there and and what has given you the ability to keep pushing forward when you weren't profitable when more money was going out the door than was coming in
1: that's a a good question so the first few years
2: first five years i was just falling on my face over and over again we made no money our first royalty check was 30 cents.
0: <laughs> Woo.
3: 30 cents,
2: like pouring in your blood sweat. Like I'm
3: a professional author now. I just made money on my words. I one from Disney uh, for a penny.
1: <laughs> um, so, yeah, I still had a full time job when we started out. I still had a full time job at an at agency here in Orange County, California and we had no kids and we had no mortgage and so you know we were in a season of life where we could essentially live off of one income for a season and then jonathan got a second day job for a little while and um so it kind of began to tilt so like the day job was minimal hours if i recall should we just like
2: tell him the whole truth though she's kind of like you know making it sound not as devastating as it was so guys I quit my job. I straight up quit my job with no other prospects on the horizon besides I was going to make this writing thing work. And I didn't yes. tell her. Yeah, so I quit well, my job. I didn't, didn't oh. tell her I quit my job. I told her after the fact, I yeah. cashed in my 401k and I just, you know, have
0: you heard that saying burn your boats? Of course. I love you so much. Just, I've done the same thing. I'm actually in the middle of that right now. So let's see how yeah. it works out. Maybe, maybe it'll go better for me. I don't know. <laughs> Although I did tell my wife. My wife was aware of what was going on. (laughs) I did that. You did it right.
2: I did it the wrong way. Looking back, maybe I shouldn't have done that.
0: But uh, I was just in a job (laughs) that I didn't
2: love, and it was just, you know, the grind day after day, and I looked at even what my boss was doing at that job, and I'm like, I don't even want his position, my boss. So I don't even want the next level. What am I doing here? What am I doing with my life? So I just had that moment, that day where I quit, cashed in my 401k, and just started writing, and I just told myself that whatever it took, I was going to make this writing thing work. And then the part-time job that she was talking about was a personal trainer. So I got a part-time okay. job, personal training while well, I worked full-time. But then uh, just consistency, just like showing up and putting in the work. I always tell people, everybody always asks me, how do you get motivated to write? And I tell them, mm. like, motivation has nothing to do with this. Yeah. It is discipline. It's discipline. You write whether you feel like it. You write when you don't feel like it. You write when you're sick. You write on the weekends. Yeah. Like, how bad do you want to make this work? Um, uh,
1: Keanu Reeves doing uh, John Wick with the 108 degree fever yeah
2: right. yeah, the, like, he was doing that crazy fight scene Yeah, but yeah like you show up uh, so I tell other authors who ask me for advice like um, emotion has nothing to do with you sitting at the keyboard that's discipline then the emotion comes through when you're writing then you can go ahead and have fun with you know doing yeah. all that when you're writing but uh, yeah for the first five years just like mistake after mistake learning mm. what you know what a good cover could look like learning what a good editor could do learning marketing tips. But now, fast forward 11 years, like Jennifer was able to quit her job and she comes and works uh, for our company. Uh, Like we're doing well enough now where we can only release four books a year and then start having you know uh, time and resources and money to fund our own projects, our film projects. Hmm. So I have faith that just like the um, book, our book career took off, that film will do the same thing. And if it takes 10 years, that's fine. I don't have anything to do anyway. I like to do, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's that time's going to pass no matter. Yes, I'm not okay. just going to like yeah. hang out and watch TV. Like I like to work. I like to tell stories. Yeah. So if it takes 10 years. I'm in sign me up. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I think, plus, It was so long ago. So the market wasn't as competitive. Um, he started out in urban fantasy and then realized he can really enjoy science fiction. And so it was teaming up and sort of getting to know other authors in the genre. And then, you know there were early on there were a few collaborations the co-writes so you can you got or being in those uh collected anthologies to cross promote but it was the showing up and nothing sells the previous book like the next book um and so to keep you know feed, feeding that cuz that's something that as independent we could do in a way that traditional can't do in the same Way in the Amazon space is just keep on feeding those voracious readers. Um, and so that was a big thing. And I remember we were on a vacation and um, I want to see it was like Hawaii or somewhere tropical, I don't remember, um, exactly where, but it was that he had gotten up at 5 a.m. because Jonathan gets up at 5 a.m. every day. Um, to to write before the rest of the house is stirring so he can get in those words and just get into the flow state. And uh, so he had gotten up and we were just starting to learn about Amazon ads and Facebook ads. And so that idea that like we can be here and I could see the ocean through my window (laughs) while I Mm -hmm. do these ads for half an hour, an hour, Mm -hmm. and then go out and enjoy our day. And in the meantime, it was back in the days of like book report and book report made the little cha-ching sound whenever you had a sale. And so to know that that was going on in the background um, kind of changed our perspective. And it was, if we doubled down on this area, what could our life look like? And I would say maybe it was like three or four years later, um, I was doing the day job, And I was in a significant role. So it was a lot of hours at the ad agency. um, And then, you know, leveraging those skills either in the morning or at night after everybody went to bed here at home to do more ads and marketing and all of that stuff, rewriting the newsletter, like flow list and and all of that. So it was maybe just like a few years of doing both where it's like, okay, the books are taking off and I could put even more of my attention on the book slash just create some space in my brain by coming home and, and solely working on the business as opposed to trying to do everything, um, where yeah. agency and everything else.
0: So this may go nowhere, but I'm kind of curious based on what you were just saying, what does fail fast mean to you guys? Is that something that is in top of mind for you at this point?
1: You love to fail. So go ahead.
2: Oh, <laughs> like when we need a blunt instrument to go, you know, like, uh, a- reach out to like 10 different people i'm usually the blunt instrument because i don't mind being
0: told yeah.
2: no um yeah have you ever heard of a book called never split the difference
0: yeah absolutely what is his name he's the hostage negotiator chris voss, voss. yeah
2: the FBI hostage. yeah chris yeah. voss okay yeah, yeah 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 so in there he talks about no is when the conversation actually starts you want yes. to get to as fast as possible because then you realize you can dig in like why is this person mm-hmm. saying no are they Got saying it. no? Because whatever you ask, them, maybe they they think they don't have the time or the resources or whatever it might be. So I try to get to the no as fast as I can, and then um, it's just being consistent. Have you guys ever seen Shawshank Redemption?
0: Of course, oh, yeah. But Stephen King, <laughs> this is not this is not actually an episode of TRBM until Stephen King has come up. It's
3: crazy. There you go. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I just gotta say, I think I thought the movie was much better than the book. Uh, yeah, in this one case, I'm going to say that the, the
0: movie yeah. improved on the novella, but I still think the novella is really sharp. So,
3: I uh, I always think
2: back to that scene where he's writing letters to get his library. yeah Like a letter a week for like two years. And now I always think about that, too. Like, I can be consistent. I honestly think I've gotten opportunities because people just want me to leave them alone. They're oh, like, OK, great. here, here, the like response, like, OK, or no, or something like that. Right. Because I'll just yeah. follow up once a week. Once a week, once a week, Mm. until something happens. Or, like, um, getting to failing first. I always think that, like, uh, in failing, you can learn something. So I don't mind failing at something because, I mean, inevitably it's going to happen. I think even star athletes, right, whether it's, like, Tom Brady or Michael Jordan, they lose more than they win. Like, how many uh, Super Bowl rings does Tom Brady have? But how many Super Bowls was he not even a part of or he didn't win in his career, right? Way more he didn't win he won, but we still remember the greats. Cause you don't, it doesn't matter. You're not judged on how much you failed. You're judged on how much you won.
0: That's a really good point. Uh, so let's go ahead and transition into the direct sales process. You ran into ammo and you recognized something there. Uh, I just finished up a conversation with Matt Heron, uh, or uh, readers know mm-hmm. known as MG Heron. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he, he talked about, uh, shoot, my brain is going too fast. I apologize. Um yeah. So we, we were talking about what happens when you recognize a great opportunity. And I said, I fear that too many writers right now won't recognize what Steve has presented with ammo because it's a very cerebral, very non-emotional, uh, expensive, too many people path to take. Why did you choose it? Why did you see the value in it? What happened there that you were like, this needs to be incorporated into our world in order to sell more books and make more money?
1: Uh, It was a cross cross section of of so many things coming together. So uh, one thing is we don't believe in coincidences. We believe that there's like a master of ceremonies at work. And if Mm. we're open to perceiving those opportunities and just kind of going with a bit of intuition and a bit of research, you'll kind of suss out the path to take and so at that time one of the conversations we were having with his, his um, agent from infinity system was how many paperbacks have you sold so they kept asking that we're like uh i don't know not like you know so many but look at all the ebooks we've sold look at all the yeah. downloads and pages Obviously. we've had look at all the yeah. audiobooks and you know she's very uh, she comes from the traditional world and so it was well but how many paperbacks have you sold and you're like okay like 12,000 reviews on this series they're they're 4.3 <laughs> or five star and above. And I was like, but how many paper of those are paperbacks? So uh, that, and I was working with the client. I do take on sometimes um, author clients to help them with their marketing or launching their platform and all that. And uh, she was working, brought on a traditional publicist, same thing, oh, talking yeah. about all these avenues and the, and it was such an interesting peek behind the curtain in terms of the traditional models. And it was right when the Sanderson stuff was coming out and he was revealing more through the podcast and interviews and Kickstarter and all of that stuff. So, um, so it was like, we need to do paperbacks. I think we can do events, but there has to be another way I know about pixel. I know about this stuff. I just don't know mm-hmm. how to make it work. Exactly. Right. Um, and we ran into David Schur in Vegas at a conference.
0: Ah, okay. In the hall, yeah.
1: It was like the last day, maybe.
0: Mm-hmm. And David is amazing.
1: A, yeah. We had a panel on filmmaking. They kind of popped in, but they had to leave because of the baby. And then like, so they stopped us in the hall. And then we were talking about, Oh, what do you do with Facebook ads? Well, what do you do with Facebook ads? Like, how's this working? And, And it kind of just went from there and he suggested ammo so he suggested the big mastermind group which is great and i love the idea of being you know iron sharpens iron to be able to connect with people who are operating non-emotionally at a different mindset i don't want to say different level but different mindset because they kind of go hand in hand right um and um, so anyway, so I started looking into it. I, you know, tested a few things on my own. I think you said like you tried to build out your whole page and didn't. You didn't have the infrastructure. You only saw the yeah. user interface. But that's like a, a a drop in a bucket of what yeah. is the ammo system. So um, I you know, watched the videos and I, I told him, I think, we, again, it sounds like we're on vacation now. We really only go somewhere like once or twice a year for a weekend. Actually,
0: you should probably brag. If you go all the time, just go ahead and, and out yourselves because that's part of, I mean, I, I, I mentioned this with, with Matt too, but one of the three goals that I have on my wall that I go over every single day is uh, play is a massive part of my life. And I'm not a, embarrassed to talk about it because I want, I want the world where I work really hard, where I wake up at 5 a.m. and I, I bust my ass writing books and, um, I want the world where I'm at every single, uh, baseball game that my kids have or wrestling mm. match. And then I'm having fun and cheering for them and not thinking about where the money's coming from. And that we go to Hawaii. I, I promised my boys that we would go to Hawaii. I was a real estate investor for, for a little while. And I promised them I would take them to Hawaii just because I thought like that would show them what it means to have all the benefits of the, the money and the, 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 the work and the effort. I haven't followed through on that promise yet because I took this little detour uh, into quitting my job and trying to sell books. But uh, we'll get there. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. you were saying. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, we were in Havasu with his parents for um, a little like holiday, and uh, you know, everyone, again, everyone's asleep. I'm the night owl. He's the morning person, and so I'm watching the videos, um, you know, with my headset in the dark. I'm like, you know what? Like this is it. This is founded in in data. This is not. Uh, and it's like replicatable. Like there's been so many times when people will hit big and they have a system, but they can't show you the map on how they did it and show how it can be replicated. And like he said, like no one's going to outgrind. I I will get in there. I will overthink and overanalyze that so much. I know, I know the, um, avatar of who our readers are because Hmm. we're very connected to our reader group. There's a reader group on Facebook that we have in-person meetups. Anytime we travel for a conference, we reach out to the readers and we say, hey, we're going to be here on this date. Who would like to join us for breakfast? Who wants to join us for lunch? And so know who that person is. So that's who I'm targeting. I'm not writing an ad or creating a page for some person. It's like my my step dad if he read so what is his experience you know how is he scrolling through this what is easy for him to discern and what's going to trigger him to make Mm -hmm. that purchase and then what's going to get him and keep him on board um through all of that and yeah so that's where that worked for us it was we were looking to do paperbacks david shurer came into our life (laughs) and um and i saw that the data driven results. And I always say you can't manage what you don't measure. So like, it just it worked well for us.
0: Yeah. So that does bring me to the the question. Pretty much I focus on ebooks with the ammo process. I do sell the occasional paperback. Uh, it's got to be like account for less than 10% of my sales. Um, are you are you focusing on a funnel that drives paperback sales? Or is it the same with me where you're just you have that option and people are taking it?
1: Um, I'm focused on selling the story sure. and then giving them the option of whichever they want to buy, yeah. whatever their preference is. So like in the ad targeting, it's both paperback readers and ebook readers. So yeah. do retailers and libraries, because people at libraries generally like their local library, they're going in and picking up physical copies of books. Mm. Um, so like it, yeah. So it's not just like Kobo or Kindle or Nook targeting. So yeah. that if people are into the story, that that's that's the hardest part I think to sell is like if you're into the story, all logic is out the door, right? Yeah, you just need to know how can I get this, and my job then is just to make it available to them in whatever format and as easy as possible.
3: Yeah, interesting. You can't sign an ebook too. Go for it. You can't sign an ebook.
1: It's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. I think there was a season people were like digital inputting the ebook, but it, yeah, it's not, mm-hmm. it doesn't help. We, sorry, yeah. we went to WonderCon in um, March and to interact there with someone who stood and were excited to hand over their book and then Jonathan to take it or for the Jonathan to sign it and to say, like, hey, what's your name again? Or um, is this book for you or for a friend and to sign it and for them to like that moment they hold it. There is a clear dopamine release in their system. of "Ah, Yes. Like this is my treasures, my precious. So yeah, we, we want to continue to provide that experience and experience that ourselves. It's a joy to be part of, part of that. There's
2: an article that I read that said the average paperback trades hands in its lifetime. Seven times. Wow. So it's like somebody bought the book and they gave it to a friend or they sold it or they donated it to the library. At right. least seven people see the average paperback where with eBooks, it's usually just like one.
3: Like you said too, it makes a, a deeper connection. I think with your readers to have that option yeah,
1: we're on the shelf, just like the books behind you, like that's it. Like it's a, it's a prize becomes a many times a prize possession. I know there are many books that we've received as gifts or whatnot that we, you know, donate or, can pop into the, our little lending library, but um, yeah, but to have, well, those that they, I'm you not
0: sending you any of my books now. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just end up at the free little library. <laughs> Somebody's going to love it though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I put some of my favorite books in there too, because I want the yeah. the neighborhood to be able to enjoy those, um, to enjoy those books. And if we go put only Twaddle in there, then no one's going to want to come back to that well. So yeah, yeah. All, all, all kinds of books. All kinds of books, Danny.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I, I, I was uh, playing for laughs just there. Uh, it's interesting <laughs> you mentioned libraries. The Monday show that I do, uh, is focused now on libraries. And I've been as conscious as I can, one, to keep the experience as close to home as possible, which I'm not moving books at the level you are, nor do I have a catalog big enough to do so. Uh, but libraries are this, this, I think blue ocean right now that too many indie writers don't approach because they don't understand the system or how to systematize your request to get into a library, who to talk to, how to reproduce that. So I've been talking a lot with libraries about getting the books in there. Um There's, there's like 40,000 libraries across the country that'll carry fiction just without even thinking about it. So if you have a system to say, Hey, I've got a book out and a friendship built that's 40,000 copies of a paperback that you could sell with one email, um, so that's kind of a cool thought. I love that you target libraries to get and when I say libraries, you target the behavior of people who go to libraries to get physical copies. That's really cool,
1: yeah, because I mean we have we're you know readers. Um, we get them on ebooks, We get them from Amazon. We get them from au- audiobooks. We get physical copies, bookstores libraries i have like four different library apps to get ebooks or audiobooks depending on what we're doing so like if you're a reader a consumer you're not discriminatory right and and the and and there's that whole idea of community the kind of reader we have that has the best lifetime value is a community oriented person right so they come in and they're in the group and they show up to events and they recommend that they're an advocate well, someone who's part of their community and going to their local library is going to have some of those same or similar yes. behaviors. So that's a really good point. Yeah, so going for that depth of person versus a one-off. And Jonathan responds to every comment on every ad that we're running. And one ad has wow. like four hundred comments or something on it now. Oh yeah, know?
2: even the mean people. Yeah, there's a bunch of mean people, and I just have fun with it. So like, yeah. uh, someone will say something like super mean. I'll be like, well, you're not getting a Christmas card this year i'm the type of person who reads all my one-star reviews so over the course of 11 yep. years i've read all my reviews so i read the bad wow. ones because i wonder if there might be an opportunity to learn yes. so if you know one person says something bad i don't really take it to heart but if two or three people are saying the same thing then maybe there's a learning opportunity for me and i can like reassess like oh maybe i shouldn't have done that to that character i shouldn't have killed the puppy or yeah, something like no
0: always <laughs> kill the puppy it's probably the truth <laughs> almost always <laughs> kill the puppy um, same
1: for for script we had a call with the cinematographer for our film last night uh, or yesterday afternoon and i was explaining we have a script i want to send it to you but uh, two things right is uh it's still early draft it has some development stuff but don't hold back if we don't agree with what you're saying because we don't feel like it's true to the character or something like that it's not emotion driven nobody we're not we're not in the business of of feelings and at this level it's the best idea best story the best way to do it wins and that may not be my way it's totally fine i don't care it's yeah. i don't want to impede the of what this film or this project could be and i think jonathan had a similar conversation. This morning, they were um, text messaging, and uh, I think you sent him the audiobook or something. Yeah, and
2: I told Joe, I was like, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Jen killed all my feelings <laughs> years ago. I have no more feelings. So, like, whatever yeah. you say, like, whatever's best for the project, if we can all, all go in and agree, like, whatever's not my answer, not your answer, what's best for the project, we're going to make something great.
1: Yeah. yeah, and so that's, like, the fun part, and that's why it's, like, going back and interacting with all of the people online like we never know what their situation is. They might be feeling a little extra crabby. They mis- may have misinterpreted our intention. Um an in ad copy or um yeah, whatever it is. Maybe, you know, you give a little person a little a person a little power you can manifest differently and maybe they think they'll never be held accountable to it. And, and to go in there and respond. And I don't know how many times now people have said in the ads like I am going to go check out this series simply because I love the author interaction on this um on all these comments. Um Yeah. Uh, yeah, of of all sorts and it's not looking to be snarky or proof of point. It's looking like to connect with a person and be and be present.
0: Yeah. So uh two more things cuz we're coming up close to the hour now. Uh first thing and and I'm going to let you drive as uh, transparent as you want to be, or if you want to generalize, that's okay as well. Um, because one of the things that I want to do with the ammo edition of this podcast is pull back the, the, the film, the lid a little bit and let people see the money that goes into the system. Um, I think that a lot of authors, like I said earlier, have this sense that they have to make money with their book before they spend money to make money with their book. So I'd love to hear from you a little bit about your your thoughts toward money, how much you're spending on ads, if you're comfortable talking about that. Uh, you can, like I said, be as generic as you wish. Um, and then after that, I'm just going to open it up for Rich to ask any burning questions he has before we close this thing down.
1: Yeah. Uh, joining Ammo was an investment, but it was a calculated investment. We've invested more with less return. <laughs> Um, in even just in the past few months. So, um, but the idea is that to get results you've never had, you have to do things you've never done, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the drivers and it was being safe. Like, what are the core values for our family? Does this fiscally make sense as an investment for us? Is this something that I guess can you afford um, if it doesn't work out? I like to do the cost benefit analysis or uh, was it Pascal's Um, I forgot that again, the wager, wager. no, that's Maslow, Uh, the wager, right? If, you know, if, if we're right, what can we gain? But if it Mm -hmm. doesn't work out, what would we lose? And so it was, you know, okay, we could, let's try this. The biggest thing was the investment of time because um, all the time we invest, I invested into setting this up is time away from the other things that we're working or having to sort that out. So, you know, folks consider that. And then the don't give up, like, again not emotional about it did this work great i'm happy but also it was it a fluke is it just a blip or is it real and i think a lot of people get really high emotionally Mm -hmm. oh it's working which means when it doesn't work really low and that's exhausting so to me that that those are bigger things to consider uh financially um yeah i mean there's the setup cost but they're Nominal to what the data provides. It's like, oh, we got to buy this. Yes, eventually when your numbers get high and you're scaling, but by that time you're scaling, so you know you have the income to cover it, or else you shouldn't yeah. be scaling if you're not profitable. So it's like you know, thirty dollars for this, a hundred bucks for three months of that, and mm-hmm. whatever. So like maybe a hundred dollars a month and for all the different programs, and then for ad spend, super conservative because. Yeah. like you know, we've seen in the group, there's some people who are like getting high numbers. I'm like, yeah, what's your ad spend? Or mm-hmm. what's your ROI? What's your ROAS? What's your return on your ad spend? So um, when I learned that their ad spend is super high, but their ROAS is comparable to me, it's encouraging that, like, go at your own pace. Um, yeah. You know, was it yeah, bet small, aim small, miss small? Is that the mm-hmm. one? Yeah. So if I by having... Um, conservative increases in our ad spend, right? Then aim, small, miss, ball So that, that's that yeah. been something for us. So our ROAS has been consistently at like a 1.4 to a 1.6. So nice. if I stay there, yeah, then we're we're good. And there's one series that I have had time to start building out and then I didn't have time and then I go mm-hmm. back and do some more testing and the data is accumulating. At least it's maintaining, but it's not really where I want it to be. But yeah. it's been like at a 1.2. So it's profitable. As long as it's not losing money, I'll get to it when I have the capacity. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. And you've talked a lot about the emotion part of it. So I guess before I open it up to Rich, I'm curious, Jonathan, um, do you ever feel frustrated if one series sells better and it's not your favorite?
2: No, I feel, uh, I have a lot of people ask me like what my favorite series is and I, or what my favorite book was. Mm -hmm. And I always tell them, if my favorite book is not the one that I'm writing now, I'm doing something Uh wrong. (laughs) it's <laughs> always the one that I'm writing now. It has to be, if, if my favorite book is not what I'm writing now, then why am I writing it?
0: Yeah. Interesting. Right. I, so I, like, Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. There's a, there's a sense. So uh, one, one of the books I wrote was my, my MFA thesis more or less. Um, the stories of Bogey. And it's kind of like a mix-up of my childhood life where I attribute it to a character named Bogey and then my adult life. And it's almost uh Carl Ove Kanausgaard, uh, like right in the moment. I'm literally writing what's happening to me that day and then threading those two things together. It's very literary. Nobody is ever gonna buy it at a huge level, but I know the work that I did to get there. It's a very different, it's very much for the art of it. It's it was a fun passion project, and it may always be my favorite book for that reason but I'm not going to keep writing that kind of book. It was one thing I wanted to do, but I get where you're coming from. Every time I write a new book in the the mystery series, I'm like, I've topped myself. What a great feeling, you know? (laughs) So
1: (laughs) yeah, it's like those 1% moves. So if we can improve 1% over time and whenever he works with his editor and back when when I used to read his work, he would ask like, what's the one thing you noticed? What can I improve on? And those 1% compound towards improvement um over time and over a the catalog. There's library. like a story about
2: that too. I forget who it was. It was a cycling team. I don't know if it was the French cycling team or there was a cycling team who hired a new coach and the new coach made such like minimal movements, whether it was like a the height of their seat or what they ate and stuff like that. And he just made these one percent moves mm. until at the next tournament they were fourteen percent faster. Yeah. It was like just these little things, getting better at these little things. So I always ask my editor, um, because for some reason, nobody really wants to give, um, like, uh, nobody wants to judge other people's work, but I want to be judged so bad because yeah. I want to grow. I want to learn. Yeah, it doesn't help me. It's not helpful for me if you're just like, oh, I love it. I'm like, that's yeah. not helpful for me. she so didn't say that. Yeah, no, she didn't say <laughs> that at all. She killed all my feelings a long time ago. So I always ask my editor, yeah. like, okay, so it's easier for me now. People are more willing to give me advice if I just phrase it like this. I'll ask them, okay. What did you love best about it? Mm-hmm. And then what you feel like could use some improvement. And psychologically, I think in that in their mind, it allows them to give the freedom to be, like, oh, okay, I'm gonna give them a compliment. And then I'm big, okay, and then you can, you know, maybe you can shore up on this. Yeah. So I always ask the editor, give me two things. Give me two things I can work on for the next book. Give me two things that I can be better at. And then I just grind on those things. And there's a beauty in knowing that we're never gonna be perfect. We're yeah. never gonna tell the best story the greatest story. And I love that idea because if I was able to tell the greatest story, like life would be super boring. Like you did it. You're, there's nothing else to be done now. So yeah. it's fun. and It's fulfilling to always be working towards
0: something. I love it. Rich, what do you got for us?
3: Well, I was, first of all, I just want to uh, point out that the five years you spent, you know, trying to get to that making money point. I think that's a good lesson for everybody here who is like thinking, Oh my gosh, five years I get to do that in 50 books probably right you had had written by then so that's (laughs) that's that is actually you know that's the kind of thing what it takes but it's also encouragement to let you know that hey it it may take time you know some you you hear the stories about someone who writes a bestseller with their premier you know their debut novel and it's like okay that's not typical um I was curious though about um what it took to get onto the USA Today uh, bestseller list
2: yeah, so back in the day, um, USA Today bestseller list that I know of as of this moment doesn't exist anymore. Ah. As far as I know, it was done away with just a few months ago. They, they removed, yeah. with layoffs, they removed that position. But when I did was USA Today bestseller, it was like in 2017 or 18. I don't know. It was a while ago. I went ahead and we did a big push with some other authors and anthology. So there was a group of us that were like, hey, it's going to be difficult to sell this many books on our own. But if we got together, did an anthology, and we all promoted together, helping each other out, you know, um, it's like, uh, do you guys know how the Mongol Khans used to
3: raid? I don't. Not personally, no.
0: Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> You've no. never experienced it no. firsthand. <laughs> Look outside, and there's your torches and riding on the horses.
1: Oh, yeah, I went through that once. <laughs> I just experienced that Tuesday. Thanks for asking. Also, yeah, one
3: Black Friday, but that's about as close as I got.
2: <laughs> so uh, uh so what I heard a story is that the Mongol cons would have different tribes and when it was time to go raid, they would all raid together. So it probably be like, okay, let's all go together, let's pool our resources, we're all gonna go raid together. So it's almost kind of like that idea. And we still do that idea when it comes to releases. So I'll reach out to some other uh sci-fi authors and be like, hey, I have a new release. Uh, would you be willing to share my new release with your uh, newsletter? Mm. And in return, when you have a new book that you want to promote, I would be willing and happy to do the same thing for you. So it's Mm. the same idea coming together, right? So even though I might have, I think our newsletter list is like around 12,000, I might have 12,000 subscribers, but somebody else has 10, somebody else has eight, somebody else has six. And then you get, you know, that big push. And on release day, when you launch, all you really want to do is maybe get into the top, six of your category so people can find you organically then those people yeah. who normally would go search sci-fi right kind of like when you're using um, looking up something on google you usually find what you're looking for on the first page of google rarely are you going to page two three four five six to try to find a link to click on and it's the right. same thing with books so people who are searching for your books usually they're going to go search and they're going to find something within the first five ten probably not even 20, probably like the first five or 10 covers that you look at and they're going to find something. So when you release your book, you're only trying to get into that first five or 10 and then organically people will find you.
3: Yeah. The other thing I want to ask about too real quick is um, as a filmmaker collaborating with other people. I mean, that is, that part of the writing is so much more collaborative than just sitting by yourself in a room and writing a novel. But do you find um, once you give the material to the actors and they put their spin on it do you take stuff back from them and put it back into your work
2: yeah so what i found too is like you're exactly right so when i'm writing a novel like it's just me right i can do whatever i just the voices in my crazy head talking to each yeah. other that's it so uh when you hear actors um putting their spin on it i feel like if you get the right actors they elevate your work and you're like oh i didn't even think about yeah. that, this character uh so in infinity system we'll send you guys links so you can watch infinity system but there's a character uh, in Infinity System who played the role instead of being tough, she was like a little bit off, a little bit crazy. And I was like, oh, I like that better that you can tell like, hey, there's something not right with this lady. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, for sure. And I feel like uh, filmmaking is so much fun, too. Because if you get the right team together, at every stage, they elevate it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what I thought was like a good script, the actors turned into a great script. And the director mm. with direction and the um, music and sound effects, it just kept on getting better and better and better.
3: Yeah, I don't know how John Carpenter does it all by himself, but uh, it, it, it's a it's a fun process, too.
2: Yes, it's fun, too. and it's, um, It was our first time doing it last time. So I had never managed a set before as a producer, <laughs> so it was scary. It was definitely scary, but I feel like we need to do those things that push us out of our comfort zones to grow. And um, on set, I, was, I told the team, like, I'm only here to support you to make sure you operate at your 100%, whatever that might mean. Even the, the crew, right, the guys who are doing, like, lights and electrical, I would go hang out with them. I'm like, what do you want for lunch? Whatever you want to eat. Like, a happiness is, like, through my stomach personally. So I'm like, whatever you guys want to eat, we'll get it for you. You guys want energy drinks? You guys want a certain type of flavor of soda? Like whatever you want, we'll make it happen. And I think uh, leading from the front like that really helped set the tone for the production. So they wanted to work harder for us because we weren't like, you know, slave drivers in the back. We were leading from the front.
1: Yeah, we weren't just looking at dailies
0: <laughs> yeah. in the yeah. comfort
1: of our AC cushion chairs or anything like that.
0: So one thing for the readers who are listening and aren't quite at the the moment where they're they're dipping into film or TV or anything like do we actually use the the term TV anymore um, because of Netflix or what do we what do we use now? Short like
3: film streamers, streamers, yeah, there's streamers, but the TV is still alive. TV still it's, yeah. ish.
1: Yeah, our so series sometimes, depending on series. what people are yeah. creating, but okay. the rich you would know best. But it seems like. Yeah, it's usually referred to based on the contract language for it. Like, is it VOD? Is it a streaming type of content? Is it like television network, or is it feature, uh, or is it short? Which doesn't really. Yeah, Yeah. I mean,
3: you you can generally split up into like uh, film, motion picture films, um, full length feature films, and episodics. Mm
1: -hmm. Episodics, Episodics, anything that's
3: broken up into pieces. Mm-hmm. That is its own process. And that has so many, it used to be just, you know, the big networks is where you put your episodics. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah, you've got the streaming services, you've got the cable channels, you've got all that, all those extra avenues to do that. And it's it's uh, it's amazing to see all of that because like you mentioned too, I mean, when you guys probably started, there was a lot less um, competition for a back, lack of a better word. It's really I, I like the thing of this competition, but a lot less material on Amazon in the genres that we're writing in and all that kind of stuff. Now that the barrier to entry has been like reduced so much, there's so many more people doing it, it's easy to get lost in the noise. Hmm. So the same thing is happening with the, the TV stuff too. There's a lot more opportunities, but there's a lot more people doing it. So the fact that you guys are succeeding at that, congratulations, I can't wait to see it. Yeah,
2: thank
3: twice.
1: you. Are, are you still in that space, Rich?
3: I am peripherally in that space. I've been working on screenplays uh, with my old writing partner, Arnold Rudnick. And we have, uh, you know, one project that's hopefully making the rounds right now. But uh, primarily, I'm, I'm doing the novels now. I, fi- I just, I really enjoy it. Like you like you were saying, it's like, that's the thing I want to do. And so I, I know exactly where you're coming from when you say, I just wanted to sit down and write and put all my energy into that. Because that mm-hmm. I think that's another key thing that beyond the ammo stuff, you have to have that that drive to produce the material in the first place. Otherwise, yeah. you don't have anything, to s- no stories to sell. I love the way you put that, Jennifer, stories to sell, mm-hmm. feelings to sell, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Almost like a, I think of myself as a boxer. So every time the alarm goes off at 5 a.m., that's the ring of another bell. Ding, ding. Like, are you going to get up now and answer that bell? Or are you going to go back to bed? Got to Do the life. Rocky
3: thing where you couple, crack a couple of eggs in a glass and drink it down and hit the road. I'm actually he, did that.
2: It. he did
1: that for a season, and I was like, this is out of control. Don't do that to my eggs.
2: Yeah, I'm very, like, black and white. So I'm either all in it or I'm not going to do it with passion or don't do it at all, right?
0: Yeah. I recognize yeah. that in you. I've actually done that in high school as well. Yeah. Like, I was, I was, like, raw eggs. I did a little bit of peanut butter. I will I will admit, like, I blended it up. So raw eggs, peanut butter, down the hatch.
3: Made it a little easier. And my, my dad used to do that. He, uh, no. Yeah. yeah. Haven't that gotten sounds
1: there yet. so frothy to me. It's, like, frothy because you <laughs> blended them, but then you got that, like... Thickness of the peanut butter. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah,
3: it doesn't take that long to scramble them in, in a pan. It,
1: I know, right? You could just oh, like yeah. pop on over medium, four minutes, whatever. <laughs> a little sea salt. You just. get oh, yeah. it. <laughs>
0: All right. So backwards for just a second to say mm-hmm. um, there's something that resonated with me for authors who aren't necessarily at the episodic or or feature film point in their career. uh, A stretch, I think, for you would be to consider audiobooks. Audiobooks are a level of production that is somewhere between film and uh, the page. And um, it just, it really lit me up when you were talking about that experience of saying, now I'm hearing someone perform my character. And I have the opportunity to take that performance and realize they picked up on something I didn't know was there. Um, And so, I paid a very good amount of money to have a great audiobook reader produce my audiobooks and she picked up on something on a couple of my characters that I was like I have to incorporate that in future books I was never thinking about it it wasn't how I saw that person but as soon as she read it into the character it was there and i would say to anybody who's who's writing if you can afford and you don't have to obviously do what i did but if you can afford to get an audiobook reader to read your books do it and then be open to adapting if you're writing those characters ever again to learn from your audiobook reader cuz they're doing something amazing bringing that character to life when it's not in your head. When you when you give license to somebody to take a character that has always lived inside of you and now it lives outside of you, that's a cool process. Don't don't uh I don't know, don't have so much ego that you refuse to adapt based on that kind of feedback cuz it's worth it.
2: Oh, for sure, that's a good point too, not having any ego. One of my favorite sayings is I tell professionals I'm like Talk to me like I'm a small child, like talking down, (laughs) break down, because I want to learn. Like, I have no ego. I just want to learn whatever that looks like. So, don't be afraid of, like, oh, you know, breaking it down into tiny little words that I can understand. I want that. Yeah. And we
1: have a great audiobook narrator who has, man, I don't know how many times I've laughed out loud and had to pause the QC process just to enjoy that scene or that moment, that voice, that delivery. Um, and you know, it's an art, it's absolutely an art. And, uh, I'm, um, auditioning folks right now for a YA book, not Jonathan's, another client. And, um, you know, there's a nuance, like, are they delivering? Sure. But do they perform it? And that's the, the next level.
0: Absolutely. All right. So in wrapping up, tell everybody the best place to find your books. If you want to do your doorbuster deal here, I need a link from you. Let people know that that's what you want to do. Or you can send them to KU, just whatever works best for you.
1: Uh, well, right now, uh, I'm not entirely certain when this is going to air, but we will be launching our Kickstarter. So oh, um, books can go there. And the since it's on the Forsaken Mercenary series, the signed books will be available to purchase um, through that. And if awesome. not, it's just um, Jonathan-Yanias.com, and they can access everything from there.
2: Right, yeah. If this airs on July 11th or within the month, next month following that, the Kickstarter will be live. So we'll be able to get signed copies. We'll have limited edition coins, signed DVDs, posters, your chance to be on set, be an extra, all kinds of fun stuff. What are you thinking, cool.
3: right? <laughs> uh, no, I'm just saying I'm a kickstarter holic. And I've been trying to cut back, but now I know I have to get on that one. So it's like, Oh God, you guys are tempting me so much. It's like, okay. okay.
1: not sure where you're based, but depending on, you know, there's opportunities to come to if you miss set, you know, come to set. Um, No,
3: I'm in Chicago, but I have still friends in California and I would, uh, man, I would love to take you up on that opportunity. I'd love to visit your set when you're, we guys are shooting your next thing.
1: Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun experience and that's, Uh, One of the things we love about the cinematographer is that, you know, his whole thing is like, I want everyone to feel like they are a rock star and they are on their best performance on set. And they just have like a great experience and treating everybody with the utmost respect. And and you you absolutely get that from him when you step onto that and all the people he's worked with. And I see over and over, it's the same people because they love working with him so uh so on, yeah
2: on set is fun too because <laughs> in the back of your mind you're always, i mean there's something that always goes wrong every day when we we're on set with the face something went wrong but in the back of your mind too, you're like well like ten thousand dollars went in today if today doesn't go right or if we don't make it <laughs> that's like ten thousand dollars like invested yeah into this one day so kind of like you know when you drink a lot of caffeine your heart goes a little bit fast that's the kind of uh, feeling i had on set like oh man this well, we, gotta I don't work.
1: Know if i told you that but we used to do that on set for when we had the dual sets we had like flat lay and then we had like the people and we had it broken down by the minute so when we were looking wow. at how much time we're spending on a shot or like would be like a scene or a shot would be like is this worth another 180 dollars a minute or do we think we've got that. You know what I mean? Or or versus like, versus what's it going to cost in post? And that's like the producer hat on, but yeah, that takes all the magic away from the moment. Have you guys ever
2: seen Mad Max Fury Road? Yeah, I have not. Oh man. There's this awesome scene where one of the crazy guys is riding his car into like this huge thunderstorm and there's lightning and a wall of sand that's coming at him. And he's just like driving his car along. He's like, Oh, what a beautiful day. He was driving straight into the storm. That's how I feel a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, It's scary, but it's fun.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's what we're going to be doing for the next month is uh, the Kickstarter. Uh, Wolfpack Entertainment is the name. and um, But also, if you just want to learn more about Jonathan and his books, that's going to be Jonathan-Yanez.com.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, I will have links for the Kickstarter because yes, it will come out, uh, within your, your timeframe, uh, as well as to the website. And if you do want to give me the doorbuster deal, feel free to email that to me as well. Uh, Thank you so much for the time. This was a blast. I knew it was going to be fun as soon as I found out that we had Grant Cardone in common, because there's just a (laughs) certain thought process that happens for people who really like him. Um, I actually think uh, that he's a bit of an asshole, um, but I also think he's the right kind of asshole in that he's willing to take people to task and he's pretty no nonsense. Most people who first encounter him are like, "What's this guy all about?" In fact, my wife hates him, um, oh. but I've made her—I've made her listen to his books multiple times <laughs> because his philosophy is correct. Well, listen—I mean, any any guy who says you know, go big or go home, or be obsessed or be average, is going to tick a lot of people off. When you title uh-huh. a book. You know, be obsessed or be average and the 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 book cover is you straddling a jet engine, you're gonna upset some people, you know, and my wife is kind of like that's very <laughs> egotistical. Um, <Yeah. laughs> that's one of well, my I favorite mean, books ever though
1: it's a good marketing point too. like he's yes. kind of weeding out people who are not in that space or they talk about like that energy, right it's it's a very yeah. aggressive alpha energy, and people who aren't yeah. comfortable with it are gonna see that cover and say. No, I'm gonna go over here, and that's fine, right? Yeah, I think so. We're gonna read read through, buy more books, or uh, leave good reviews. So
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then because we mentioned that Ed Milet, if you haven't heard of him before, would be the alternative to Grant. Kind of a very similar energy, but much more welcoming. He's pretty religious. So I I also give that that warning to folks if they're not into religion. But it's either Grant, who's not very religious and straddles jet engines, or Ed Milet, who's pretty religious and does not straddle jet engines. Which
1: is funny because Ed Milet is such a big man.
0: He's oh like physical gosh. person, exactly.
1: He's huge, he's a beast, and then he just has a sweet,
0: <laughs> so <in> gentle heart.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, like he's just like this tender heart. I think he is a mentor for uh, Rachel Hollis Um, and Trent. Yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, now uh, remind me,
0: Rachel's the one who is the wash your face girl. Wash your face. Is girl, it, wash no, your face. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Great. Great book. And also, it's so funny. Um, it's part of the world that I've lived in and I think it's part of film too, but there's a lot, I think there's a lot of people in in film and uh, literary writing who get really angry at that particular energy. So I see a lot of trash thrown at, at Rachel Hollis, but I love that book uh, and I really enjoy her quite a bit as well. So I don't know what to say about it. It's, it's interesting.
1: <laughs> We're not judging you, Jody. <laughs> Thank you. I no, appreciate she, it.
0: Listeners no, she, don't judge.
1: <laughs> right? No, she, uh, she's from Weed Patch just outside of Bakersfield, which I'm from mm. the Central Valley as oh, well. Oh gotcha. Okay. So for me that was exciting to see like what you said through association, like we're from the same county where like I passed through her tiny town or whatever. Yes. So it made it like by proxy, like, oh, this is, you know, worth interesting. And I anyone that's got an encouraging word, you know, an encouraging mm-hmm. word, people just spoke more encouragingly to each other in general. Yeah like bolstered each other up spoke life into each other's life were each other's cheerleaders instead of tearing people down it'd be a very different a different world we would live in
0: yes it would thank you so much jennifer jonathan keep writing the books and uh we'll we'll be in touch and thank you rich uh obviously for co-hosting with me you brought a lot of life to this one thank you thanks thank you